Well, good morning, everyone. We have been the last several weeks uh, reading the Lord's Prayer and studying that together. Um, the Lord's Prayer um, is found uh, both in Matthew and in Luke, but this morning I'm going to begin by reading Matthew's version, Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word. So 2020, it's been a strange year, yeah? I don't know if you remember this, but um, the year started with some wildfires in Australia that were kind of a big deal. Then there were mounting tensions between the United States and Iran. There was a presidential impeachment trial, and the UK left the European Union. Those things all happened this year. Next, we started to hear a little bit about this coronavirus thing in China and how it might be like a little bit of a deal. Spoiler alert, it was, it was a deal. It was kind of a deal. And in the midst of being brought to a standstill in our attempts to combat COVID-19, we've had our attention brought again to the persistent racial inequality in our country. Congo experienced an Ebola outbreak. Elephants are dying in Botswana, and murder hornets are invading Washington state. In the midst of a global pandemic, we're trying to figure out how to get rid of a virus how to make meaningful movement forward against racism, work and live safely, protect vulnerable populations both from the virus and the effects of our handling of the virus, reopen schools, gather safely for church, and not lose it on our child who has interrupted us 13 times in the last hour as we're working from home. Anybody feel me? (laughs) In the midst of all this, it is understandable that it would be natural to focus most on our, on our own individual lives. Doing that seems almost impossible. It's hard to stay on top of our own daily issues, much less try to care well for others. That's why praying the Lord's Prayer has been so good for my soul these last few weeks as we've been studying it. The prayer begins with one simple word, our Typically when I pray this prayer, I jump right to the word Father and like all of what that means, that God is my Father. But when I do that, I skip over one of the most important characteristics of the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, the word I is never used. No use at all of I, me, or my. In the petitions in this prayer, we only see we, us, and our. Now, for the first hearers of this prayer, that might not have been uncommon, striking, or even all that interesting um, that the prayer was used uh, communal language. Many Jewish liturgical prayers make use of the word we um, to underscore the communal aspect of the practice of prayer. But today, in 21st century USA, I wonder if many of us have paused to consider what it means that the prayer Jesus gave us is not a prayer for the individual, but a prayer for the community. When we come together and pray these words, our gaze is not to be solely on ourselves, but it's to be on the community around us. 
this prayer works against our Western American me-first individualism. Evelyn Underhill is an author uh, that I really love, and she wrote a beautiful book called Abba, about the Lord's Prayer. And she says, In these first words, the praying soul accepts once for all its true status as a member of the whole family of man, our Father. We can never again enter into prayer as a ring-fenced individual content with a private relationship with God. In the Lord's Prayer, we're taught to pray not as individuals concerned only with our own needs, but to pray as a community, to pray as one united church. To pray our Father changes the way I pray this prayer because I cannot pray our Father without acknowledging that my brothers and sisters matter to God every bit as much as I do. I cannot pray the Our Father without considering the burdens and needs of my brothers and sisters. And I cannot pray the Our Father without coming face to face with my need for forgiveness from those with whom I am praying. To pray Our Father is a declaration of equality, a statement of solidarity, and an invitation to humility. So to pray our Father first is a declaration of equality. In speaking the first word of this prayer, our, we are reminded that we are a part of something much bigger than any one of us. Now, the idea that entrance into a relationship with Jesus comes along with entrance into this global family of God is probably not a new concept to most of us. If you've been in church very long, you've likely heard verses like 1 John 3.1, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. We sing songs to remind us that when we put our faith in God, in Christ, we become a child of the Most High God. And this, rightly so, fills our souls with joy and wonder. Cyril of Jerusalem penned these beautiful words almost 2,000 years ago. He said, O oh, most surpassing loving kindness of God, on them who revolted from him and were in the very extreme of misery, he has bestowed such complete forgiveness that they may even call him Father. Brothers and sisters, it is astounding that God would call people like me and you children. I will never get over that. I hope you never get over that. But right about here, I start thinking about the ending to the movie Aladdin. You, not you? Okay, let me explain. So at the end of the movie, Jafar has gone crazy because he's got the lamp, and he's just like mad with power because the genie has to fulfill all his wishes, right? First he wishes to be sultan, and then an all-powerful sorcerer, and then in this just stunning move of wisdom, Aladdin tricks him into asking to be a genie, right? Remember this? And for a few moments, he's just like elated with this evil power he now has. But then he, he finds out what comes with that power, right? Phenomenal cosmic power! Eeny, bitty living space. Remember that? And then the genie puts him in the lamp and he's like flicked off into what we assume will be thousands of lonely years in a cave of wonders. How is this like the joy 
we have in being a part of the family of God? I'm so glad you asked. Here's the deal. Right about the time we get to the third chorus of singing, I'm a child of God, yeah, and I'm really just basking in the glow of that. I'm a child of God, yes I am. And I'm just feeling the love of God on me. I'm feeling so full that God in heaven loves me. And then I open my eyes and I see who else is singing those words with me. The guy who is way too vocal on Facebook for the wrong party about politics is singing, I am a child of God. That woman who I know is judging me because her children have never had a public temper tantrum. She's singing, I am a child of God. And that person who dismissed my pain and made me feel small, they're singing, I am a child of God. The person who made that ignorant comment to my friend in a biracial marriage, they're singing, I am a child of God. And it's right about here (laughs) that we have our Jafar and the lamp moment. When we realize what it means to become a part of the family of God, that the same God who calls me his beloved child the same God who sees me through the lens of Jesus as perfect, holy, forgiven, the same God who is for me is for them too. He sees them through the lens of Jesus, holy, perfect, forgiven. He calls them his beloved child. And if we take this prayer seriously, this might be when we begin to wonder if we can authentically pray our Father. Because to pray our Father requires me not just to call him Father, it requires me to call all of his children my brothers and my sisters. 1 John 5.1 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So to love God means to love his children, all of them. And if I'm honest, I don't want to. But to pray together the Our Father is to preach to myself that whether I like it or not, we are one family 1 Peter 2.10 says, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Without Jesus, we are fractured. We're divided by race, gender, class, political party, personality, and opinions. But through Christ, we are invited into one family, united under the love of God, our Father. You know, in the Bible, the phrase, our fathers, is used pretty commonly. It's often used to recall something about a people's shared identity. In Joshua 24, 17, Joshua reminds the people what God has done for them. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt. In Genesis, the phrase, our fathers, reminds people of the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Ezra, that phrase is used to own the sin of our fathers, 
The phrase our fathers is used to recall God's blessing, to symbolize the passing down of faith, and to remind Israel of their shared identity. Shared history made them family. Shared history gave them common ground. And so to pray our father is affirming our shared history and our common ground. It's to declare our equality as brothers and sisters in the family of God in which there is no Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Praying the Lord's Prayer together is to speak of our destiny as one united family, as though it's already happened. It's to declare that in Christ our old divisions are gone. In Christ, we are brothers and sisters who love each other because he first loved us. Joseph Madam is an Indian professor of theology who wrote about the Lord's Prayer. He said, in the Lord's Prayer, we affirm that we all have a common parent. We are all brothers and sisters, co-owners of the earth that belongs to our parent. And with all the types of discriminatory relationships based on caste, color, sex, religion, race, and nationality in our world, that statement is truly revolutionary. As children of the same parent, we owe each other love and respect. So to pray the Lord's Prayer is first a declaration of our equality in Christ. To pray the Lord's Prayer is also a statement of solidarity. To pray in community means considering what your brother and sister are asking for when they pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, the Christian is called to sympathy and action, not in the first place by our own sufferings, but by the sufferings of his brethren for whose sake Christ suffered so to pray this prayer in community is to be moved to action against injustice in solidarity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. I was raised in a Christian tradition, tradition um, that taught what you might call a half gospel of personal salvation. Let me unpack that just a bit. Half gospel means it's true, but it's incomplete. So it's true that God does want a personal relationship with each one of us. He is the God that formed us in our mother's wombs individually, called us each by his spirit in relationship with him, and is preparing a place for every single one of us in eternity. But this gospel is incomplete when all we think about is our own personal relationship with Jesus. It's incomplete because it leaves out the communal aspect of the people of God. It's incomplete because it leaves out the work that Jesus has for us to do right here, right now, to begin the process of restoring all things. I grew up with the impression that getting involved with social justice issues was something for people who didn't have enough faith that God was going to fix things in the end. But when I pray this prayer in community and I look around at who I'm praying with, that idea is challenged. I believe, brothers and sisters, with my whole heart that when Jesus returns, he will make everything right. He will right every wrong. He will repair every brokenness. He will turn everything right side up again. I believe that with my whole heart. 
That's what gives me peace. That, that's what gives me hope. But when my black brother and sister have to talk to their seven-year-old about how to avoid dangerous interactions with police, I'm not content to wait. I can't wait for heaven. Heaven isn't soon enough. When innocent children are abused in their homes, I'm not content to wait for heaven. Heaven isn't soon enough. If a child's reading level in third grade determines their likelihood of being in prison as a grown-up, I am not content to just wait for Jesus to come back. It's not soon enough. When children struggling with their sexual identity are five times more likely than their peers to try and end their own lives, heaven isn't soon enough. When people made in the image of God can't get medication because of corporate greed, heaven isn't soon enough. And so when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, brothers and sisters, we are declaring our solidarity with those for whom life on earth could not resemble heaven less. We're asking that the church of Jesus be somehow identified with the working out of the coming kingdom of God. We're longing together for the end of the chaotic kingdom of the earth. We're begging our king, bring heaven down now. We're begging him that the vulnerable will stop being taken advantage of, that evil will stop winning, that grief will be destroyed. We're begging him that dehumanizing systems will be once and for all obliterated. And we're offering ourselves to be part of the solution. Because when our brothers and sisters are suffering, we're not content to just wait till Jesus comes back. We're compelled to do whatever we can to bring heaven to earth now. When we pray for our daily bread, we're asking God not just for what I need, but for what we need. Whatever my brother is asking for when he prays, give us this day our daily bread, I am next to him there in solidarity praying with him. If my sister hasn't received her daily bread, then we have not received our daily bread. And so I will keep praying until it shows up. Rose Busingye is a Ugandan nurse who founded an NGO uh, that serves people affected by HIV and AIDS outside of Kampala, Uganda. As she talked about her ministry, she said, those who are suffering, they belong to us. They are our people. Their problems are our problems. Their children are like our children. Her organization's motto is one heart, which means the heart of humanity has no race. It moves to another human being wherever there is suffering. This is biblical solidarity. This is what it means to weep with those who weep. To pray our Father is a statement of solidarity. Whew. To pray our Father as a declaration of equality, to pray our Father as a statement of solidarity, cannot also help but mean that to pray our Father is an invitation to humility. When we pray the Lord's Prayer in community, we all acknowledge out loud together that we are not enough. We're not enough. Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer ends with three petitions 
Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We acknowledge together that we need God's help to sustain us, forgive us, and deliver us. We admit corporately that without God's help, we would go hungry, that we would be lost in sin, and that we would chase after the evil kingdom of this world instead of the holy kingdom of God. It's no accident that these three cries for help come directly after this prayer of, God, bring your kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. Because we're acknowledging in these three petitions that any attempt on our part as a community to bring the kingdom of God to earth will fail miserably without his help. Any work by the church of Jesus in a fallen world will inevitably require sustenance, forgiveness, and guidance. I think it's particularly important in this prayer that we own our need for constant recalibration towards our brothers and sisters. When we pray those words, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And I see this need for mutual humility and forgiveness even as we are all working to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth right now in this chaotic and uncertain time. As a church, we have many different gifts and passions and abilities. And that's what makes us beautiful. But it also creates the potential for conflict. We might find ourselves feeling superior to others or frustrated with others as we each stand at the post that God has designed and called us to. We might find ourselves wondering how in the world our brothers and sisters can't see clearly that which is obvious to us. We might find ourselves frustrated at a perceived lack of support for the thing God's called us to, the cause God has called us to work towards. Why does that issue get more stage time? Why does that cause get more money from the church? Why is this all anyone's talking about on Facebook? Right now, more than ever before, I can see clearly that we are all wrestling against the power of evil that threatens this world. We all are acknowledging this world is broken and we want to be a part of restoring it in Jesus' name. But we all do that in different ways. We have some in our congregation right now who are fighting on the front lines of COVID-19 and they just wish you'd all wear masks all the time. They're going to post about it on Facebook. They're going to call you out if they see you without a mask. Or they might make 2,000 masks to donate to people who need them. We have others in our church family who are actively advocating for an end to police brutality against our brothers and sisters of color. They're going to the protest. They're sharing articles. They're working hard to call out racist structures in our society. There are others in our congregation who are advocating for vulnerable children who would be a lot safer risking COVID at school than being abused at home. We have teachers who love their students but are also afraid for their health if they go back to school in August. In our congregation exist people passionate about poverty, the unborn, mental health, and homelessness. And all of this sounds beautiful, right? And it is. 
Every single one of these issues is an area where we need to see God's kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On every front of the battle of darkness, we find our brothers and sisters in Christ fighting back the darkness, working with all the power of the Spirit, laboring for the kingdom of God. But sometimes, especially in a season like we're all in right now, where we are all exhausted and overwhelmed, that can cause us to wonder why everyone isn't battling where we are. See, in our passion to do the thing God called us to, we might forget that not everyone is called to the same post. We might forget that 1 Corinthians 12 says we are all different parts of the body of Christ. And then we might create an environment where if you don't say the magic words I want to hear you say, or share my post on Facebook, or show up to the protest, or sign this petition, that I might begin to make you feel like you're not welcome here. And so even in our attempts, do you see this? To bring the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven, we forget. We forget the overflowing resources of our Father who is powerful enough to destroy viruses, rescue the vulnerable, tear down divides, and provide for those in need, all without breaking a sweat. And when we forget these things, we have an opportunity to hurt those we love. And then we need to seek and give forgiveness. <sighs> I wish I could tell you that when we start to follow Christ, we stop hurting each other. I do. I wish I could tell you that in this church or the church, your feelings will never be hurt. I wish I could tell you that we'll never make you feel like you don't belong. But I can't. To live life in a fallen world means there will be over and over and over again opportunities to hurt each other. And that's why we need to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus gave us those words because he knew we'd need them. In Luke's version of the prayer, he adds the word all to that sentence as we forgive all those who sin against us. Adding that word where it is serves to underscore the vast number of times we will be called on to forgive. When the disciples came to Jesus asking if they should forgive someone even seven times, Jesus replied, I do not say seven times, but 77 times. Can you imagine when Jesus paused after that comma? I do not say seven times. They were all like, whew, maybe it's like third time's a charm. Like, whew, seven times is a lot. And then he kept going, but 77 times. And they must have thought, how in the world can we forgive that many times? How? Well, the answer to that lies in the first part of that sentence that we say together. Forgive us our sins. When we pray together, forgive us our sins, we have a moment to reflect corporately as one body on the great sin we have been forgiven. Helmut Tilake was a theologian, a pastor that lived 
in Germany during World War II. And in the early 1940s, he said these words. When we pray, forgive us our sins, we do not pray it only for ourselves personally and individually. In these words, we bring to the Father the whole mountainous burden of sin that weighs upon the whole world and like a nightmare haunts this present historical hour. For this hour in history makes us dimly or perhaps sharply aware that back of its travails and back of the torments that have seized and shaken the whole earth, there stands a terrible sentence of guilt. So to pray this prayer in community is to acknowledge together the sheer volume of sin that we as a community have been forgiven. And then as we together reflect on that astounding mercy that we might consider it almost nothing to forgive each other in return. If we're carrying bitterness toward a brother or sister in Christ, this prayer gives us an opportunity to consider whether or not we recognize the great guilt we've been forgiven. As people who've been forgiven much, we are to be known as people who forgive much again and again and again and again. So to pray our Father is a declaration of equality, a statement of solidarity, and an invitation to humility. To live in this prayer is to embrace the truth that every follower of Jesus is a precious child of God who is my brother or my sister. To pray this prayer is to shoulder each other's burdens and stand together against the kingdom of this world. To pray this together is an invitation to humility as we consider our shared need for God's sustaining mercy. It's to love each other with no divisions, to weep with those who weep, even if we don't understand why they're weeping. It's to humbly give and receive forgiveness for every slight in order to keep short accounts and maintain loving unity. And what happens when a community of people demonstrate unity like this? Well, the world doesn't know what to do with it. The world stands in wonder. In the book of Acts, Antioch is named as the first place the church was called Christians. Have you ever wondered why that was? Our staff team is reading a book called Weep With Me Together. Um, and in that book, the author Mark Brokop explains it this way. He says, Antioch thrived as a metropolitan city with people from a variety of ethnicities and backgrounds. Like many Roman cities, it was segregated by design. At the establishment of Antioch in 300 BC, a wall separated Syrian people from Greek people. As the city grew under Roman domination, 18 ethnic groups divided its population. As in many cities in the empire, ethnic division and violence were common, so segregation was their solution. Somehow, in the midst of this segregation, in the midst of a city where there were literal walls to keep people in the right place, a thriving, diverse church blossomed. The book of Acts shows us what an important church the church at Antioch was. It spread the gospel all over the known world. In a city 
brothers and sisters, intentionally divided by ethnicity and class, where you were known by what your ethnicity was. The church of Jesus defied classification. They weren't Greeks. They weren't Jews. They weren't Syrians. The world didn't know what to do with them, and so they needed a new term. And that is where the term Christian came from. Let us live in such a way that the world doesn't know what to do with us. Let us seek to see each other the same way God does, as his children, forgiven, beautiful, completely loved. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, let us stand in solidarity with those for whom this earth could not look less like heaven. Let us consider when we pray this prayer what daily bread our brother and sister need and how we might be the answer to their prayers. Let's encourage each other as we each play the part God has given us to play in fighting back this darkness. Let's encourage each other even when we don't quite get our brother or our sister's calling, when we don't quite understand why that post matters. Let's draw on our gratitude for the forgiveness that we have been given in the name of Jesus every time we're wronged by another who bears his name. Let's beg together that God would protect us from going the way of the world in this chaotic and uncertain time, but that we would stand firm in our love for each other and our solid belief that he is still in control. And let us, as we live together in a diverse and unified community, bring our Father glory, honor, and praise.